Welcome to the Church Basement Podcast. Today's topic are the prayers of the people. Grab yourself a cup of coffee or tea, strap on your running shoes, or pick up your knitting needles or crochet hook and join us. Let us introduce ourselves. I'm Pastor Amanda Zenzalo, and I serve as the pastor at Central Lutheran Church in Northeast Portland, Oregon. And I'm Don Miller, a member here at Central and the producer of the podcast. Okay, prayers of the people. This is an actual part of the church service, correct? It is. Where does it come in the service? It is the bridge between the word section of our service and the meal section of our service. Okay. So we have four major sections of the service, gathering, word, meal, sending. And each major section has a prayer portion that serves as a bridge to move us from one section to another. Okay. And from the word to the meal... The prayers of the people serve as the bridge to transition us from the word, hearing the scripture and the sermon, into the meal portion of the service and having communion. Now, is this something that is the same every week, or do the words change for the prayer? The words change every week. Okay. There's no, like, this beginning section is the same beginning section you use every single time and then it transitions into something else or you really literally write it different every week? It is literally written differently for each week. Wow. Yeah. So on top of your sermon, you get to write the prayers of the people too? I don't necessarily. Okay. But the prayers of the people are written for every week. Who gets the wonderful job of doing that then? It depends upon where you serve and where you are and how your congregation chooses to do it. Okay, well, let's talk specifically about Central then. Who writes them for Central? So for Central Lutheran Church, we have a tradition here that some of the prayers of the people, the beginning of them, are actually written by the assisting minister. That's one of the biggest roles for our assisting minister is that they are the person who writes the prayers of the people. Wow. Okay, this is making just doing the reading sound so much better than having to be the assistant minister. (laughs) I don't need any added duties, man. That's a lot. (laughs) But it's a really powerful opportunity to take that time and spend that time through the week and to do the contemplation and to do the listening and connecting things. It's a wonderful opportunity, truly. Okay, so walk me through these things, because I'm guessing it can be as long or as short as you want it to be. There are lots of different ways, actually, to do the prayers of the people. So this is a portion of our liturgy, a portion of our rhythm and our pattern of service that is quite ancient. It goes all the way back to some of the earliest parts of the service that we have in our records. Okay, So back to before it was legal to be a Christian, back to the followers of the way, back to those catacomb churches, back to pre-Constantinian Christianity, the prayers of the people were this opportunity where people would be able to come, they would hear the scripture, they would be a part of the prayers, and then they would be sent out before the parts of the service that would begin to be You really needed to be trusted Mm -hmm. because the things that were arrestable offenses that would get you turned over to the Roman government came after the prayers of the people. Okay. And so this is the last part of the service that people could be a part of. 
And so if you're a part of the catechumenate in the Roman Catholic Church to this day, I think it's the the RCIA, the Christian Initiation for Adults. Okay. You leave the service after the prayers of the people Hmm. and still follow that ancient pattern. Interesting. And so this section is really this opportunity for the prayers of of our hearts, of our community, to all come forward. And there is historically and academically a pattern to them. They can be done in a host of different ways. It can be done in a very poetic fashion. It can be done very prose fashion. You can write them very long. You can write them very short, in very short petitions. But typically, they have a formula of what they address. Typically, there are a certain set number of petitions. Historically and academically, they have addressed particular subjects within a particular order. Wow. Mm -hmm. It's making it seem a little easier to go about doing this task of writing the prayers of the people every week. And then it also makes it seem that much more difficult to scale it into whatever parameters you have to fit. (laughs) It can be, but also there's a freedom in the sense that like at Central, I don't come along behind an assisting minister and like grade their prayers (laughs) and be like, you only wrote two prayers this week and you didn't mention the church universal and therefore your prayers failed. You can't write anymore, right? I don't do that because I don't believe that there's a wrong way to pray. There may be ways that are less helpful Mm -hmm. or ways that build up a community less, but I don't know that there's a wrong way. And so stepping forward and finding pathways into prayer and trying to do these things and offering our hearts, listening to where the Spirit calls a person throughout the week and reading the scriptures and daring to speak. It's a pretty beautiful thing what comes out. You don't even ask to see these beforehand, do you? No, I don't. I didn't think so. I've been in on the back end of seeing a church service run thanks to the pandemic, and I don't ever remember you asking anything more than how many do you have? Yep. And I see how many they have so that I know when it's my turn to come forward. Because typically what happens is our assisting minister will have however many petitions they have written, and then I will come forward and finish them out. So what I do is I listen to what they have said. And when I first got here, I paid a little bit more attention to the rubric of what I was taught in seminary should be covered. And if they didn't cover the five main areas, I would kind of cover those areas because I was still pretty attached to the rubric. Sure. And now I am less attached to that. Now I always bring in the healing prayer and I always start my section with lifting up the names of those who are in need of healing And I don't name people's names out loud as the pastor Mm -hmm. into the microphone one because there's going to be some day where I forget one person's name and I'm terrified of that day. Sure. And I'll be honest that that's something that would just break my heart. Mm -hmm. And 
Also, because there are so many, it would just take a long time sometimes. So I just kind of let my heart be open to all the people that I'm praying for at the time and trust that the Holy Spirit hears that. And also holding all of those who support them and the caregivers and the nurses and the doctors. So I always, I always pray that prayer for our community. And I think our assisting ministers know that I will always pray that prayer. Mm-hmm. And so they haven't been praying that prayer because I think they know I got that one. Mm-hmm. And then maybe, maybe I'll do one or two others, but it's actually become less and less common Okay, that I'll do another one or two. If I do, it's very Holy Spirit driven. It's pretty rare. And then I'll open it up to the joys, which is what we did the podcast on a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. that made us realize we hadn't actually talked about this liturgically in general. Okay, so getting back to seminary, what was the class and what kind of things did you learn? What are the rubrics? So the class that this came up in was our liturgy class, was like our worship and music class. And there was actually a book, a small booklet called Prayers of the Faithful. And it's one of my favorite little books. And it goes through and talks about the different kind of basic formulations of prayer and ways that you can go about it. Understanding that you can do prayer like greatest and most majestic God who hears our prayers in the silence of our hearts and calls to us in our darkest moments. Hear us on this day as we gather in this, you know, prayer like that is fine and beautiful and okay, but You can also do prayers like um, for the aching of our hearts and then silence. Oh God, you hear us. And to go between the two different types, like to talk purposefully about how to model going between that kind of high prose prayer to that bidding kind of prayer with silence to a very informal style of prayer, like, hey, God, I'm exhausted and I'm tired and I need you to show up. And how being present in all those styles of prayer and how using those can help enter into different kinds of relationship with God in different ways and different places and times. But they are all the prayers of God's faithful people. And they can all be utilized in powerful and right and salutary ways. I love this little book. Now, to be fair, you probably haven't read it in five or seven years, but it has been a great tool through the years for me. When somebody is new to writing the prayers of the people, do you give them that book or how do you help them try to figure out where to start? If they are interested, I absolutely lend it to them. And it's got my notes in it, and it's got, like, little exclamation points from 24-year-old me, and, (laughs) you know, let them borrow it and give a gander through it and let them incorporate what they wish from that book, and then run with it and trust your heart and trust your spirit. Our congregation has some incredible individuals who are heavily influenced by other folks. We have one member who's strongly influenced by the prayers of Brian Doyle, 
and you can hear it when she prays and it's stunning. It's beautiful. It's a very particular style of prayer that is not going to come out of the ELW or our other publishers' books, but it resonates with the Willamette Valley and the people of our congregation because Brian Doyle was a poet of this region and his prayers speak to the language of this region. And the prayers pray the heart of these people. And so it may not work in other places, but in the same way, every different place is going to find a voice that is their own. I think that when you find those voices that pray beautifully for a community, that is a treasure. That is a gift. So what do you think is hard about writing these or conversely, what's the easiest part for any that you've done? I think what's hard is sometimes striking the balance between personal prayer and corporate prayer. Okay. Corporate not being like company prayer, like a corporation prayer, but corporate as being group prayer. Mm -hmm. I might have a personal prayer for my health and I want to be better. But then there is a corporate prayer for the health of our entire community. And when I am responsible for the prayers of the faithful, when I'm responsible for the prayers of the people, I am there to pray not only for my friends and my family, I am there to pray for all of us and our entire community, even people I don't like. I am responsible to pray for all. And so when I pray for the health and wellness of all, my heart needs to be open for that to be for all. When I pray for an end of violence and for the safety of children across the world, I need to be thinking of all children. When I am praying for a night of rest where children can sleep and dream of peace and spend a day without fear of violence in their lives, that is a prayer for children everywhere. And that is hard because that makes my heart break open. Mm -hmm. And that is a responsibility. And that is beautiful and that is good. And I think it is an exercise and a practice that is good for all of us to engage in. What is easy about the prayers of the people, I think... There are times when falling back on what has been written, because there are resources out there. Our denomination publishes prayers of the faithful for every Sunday that can be used. Okay. And so you can pull those for each Sunday and then just tweak them and then join in with dozens of other congregations praying the same thing. And you can lean into knowing that we are gathered together in community praying these prayers together. And that makes it easier to do this praying together piece. And I think that that can make our faith even feel like an easier task to do. So there are resources. It really just depends on what a congregation chooses to use and chooses to do. So we'd mentioned that there were rubrics and you said that you said there was a class and a book in seminary. 
what kind of rubrics are we talking? It's like you got to start out big and then get to the individual people or do you have specific topics that you should be touching on or what kind of things are we talking about? In the particular rubrics that were laid out that were kind of the ancient and aren't necessarily as utilized like directly or at this point in time, Mm -hmm. they were things like pray for the church universal. Okay. So pray for Christianity as a whole. Then pray for your local priests and bishops and religious leaders. Pray for your government and political leaders. Pray for your community and for nature and the earth and the created world around you. Pray for those who are burdened and who are ill and who need healing and wellness. And then pray for the dearly departed, those who have gone and died and who have given us examples of how to live. And so that would be one piece that depending upon if there is someone who's died recently, Mm -hmm. that you might hear me place into the end of the prayers of the people. Okay, so we've been talking a lot about how Central does stuff. What about some of the other churches that you've been a part of? How have they done prayers of the people and has it been markedly different? Yeah, so my internship congregation, we used the Sundays and Seasons prayers. Okay. So they were pre-written by the church. And the Sundays and Seasons prayers, when you use those, those are written like a year and a half ahead of time. Oh, wow. Because they have to be published. Sure, sure, sure. So they have to be edited and then published and then sent out to be received before the year begins. So if you're talking about something that you're going to be using in the summer towards the end of a liturgical year, that could have been written almost two years ago by the time you're getting to it. That's fascinating. Keeping in mind, there's a big lag time Mm -hmm. between when those prayers are written and when they're being prayed, when they're pre-written like that. So we used those, and then we might tweak them a little bit, but those were what we used. My teaching parish, they were all extemporaneously prayed. On the fly. On the fly. Oof. By, I think, how did we do it? The assisting minister would do two extemp prayers. The pastor, nope, then it would open to the congregation for extemp prayers. What, you just get to shout out what you're thinking at the moment? Okay. Yep. Yep. So anyone in the congregation could do some. And then the pastor would take it and close it up with extemporaneous prayers. And then, let's see, for a long while, I had a friend who was in a parish that I would write the prayers for his parish. And so I would type out the prayers of the people for him. Huh. When I was in second year of SEM, they were used in a local congregation here in the Portland area. So what you're saying is there really is no right or wrong way to do this. Correct. It's kind of unbelievable, and yet it kind of fits. <laughs> okay, this is going to lead me to my last question. Have you ever gotten to the end of the prayers of the people and either it's been such a week, you got (laughs) nothing, or Uh whatever the assisting minister has had, you just can't top? 
<laughs> um, yes, absolutely. Yeah. Especially when my concussion was really bad. Oh, sure. Because I'm an extemporaneous prayer. I don't pre-write any of my prayers that I do on Sundays. And you don't so, even just have the ones from the church sitting there just in case? No, okay. I don't. So Bold choice. None of my prayers are pre-written. All of them are extemp and have been at this church the entire time I've been serving. So if I'm tongue-tied or if my brain is on vacation all of a sudden, then I'm out in left field waiting for the Holy Spirit to show up and save me. Um, <laughs> it's really what happens. Wow. <laughs> and... Um, and yeah, I pretty much at that point just try to hang up the phone as quickly as I can. Nice. <laughs> and try to not ramble because the worst thing is, is when you get lost where you are and you just, you do that public speaker slow death thing where mm -hmm. you just start talking until you find yourself back on a pathway that you recognize. Mm -hmm. And everyone in the room knows that you're just talking until you find your way back to the pathway, but you have no idea how you're going to get there. Yeah, you have nobody in the back of the room doing that wrap it up circle right? with their finger, right? Because, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's just one of those moments where you try to get to the, in the name of Jesus Christ, amen, as fast as you possibly can. Solid choice. <laughs> Well, thank you, Pastor Amanda, for taking the time to help us learn a little more about the prayers of the people. I look forward to sitting down with you another week on another topic. As do I. And thank you all for listening along. I hope when you next encounter the prayers of the people that you will take a moment to appreciate them, welcome them in, enjoy them, soak in them, and let your spirit rest in them. Don't be afraid of maybe even volunteering to lead them sometime. It's not as frightening as you think. Until we are back in your ears again, remember, God loves you no matter what. <laughs> <laughs>